You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's show we're talking to Linda Booth from Dublin Cookery School about her latest cookbook, Fearless Food. Peter Mulryan from Blackwater Distillery has details about a gin collaboration with Barry's Tea and GIY and Energia want to get Ireland growing. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with me here at the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So to start the show off tonight, we're going to be inspired to grow our own. Karen O'Donoghue is Community Manager with GIY and has details about how to apply for funding to do just that. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen, you're very welcome to the programme this evening and you're going to tell us about your partnership with Energia to get Ireland growing. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, uh, I, I am indeed. And it's a fantastic campaign. It's GIY's showcase community campaign, really, that we work on with um, the legends at Energia um, on a community-focused campaign with a serious amount of money, €75,000, um, to give away to community groups who either already have a community food growing project up and running uh, that they want to develop or are keen to start one in their in their area, be that urban or rural, large or small, whether it's starting on tarmac or an overgrown jungle. Um, we're really keen to find out um, from all the wonderful people up and down the island of Ireland how we can help them realise their growing dreams. Well, tell us a bit about GIY Grow It Yourself and what it's all about, because obviously it has been an impetus for people actually getting out there and doing these projects themselves without having funding to support them. And now you're making that funding available. But just tell us a bit about GIY, first of all. Gladly. So we're we're coming up to our 10th birthday, believe it or not. And you're dead right. We don't always have um, a fund available to help groups come together to learn how to grow. And so when we started 10 years ago, or when Mick started at all 10 years ago, it was really around um, encouraging groups of people to gather in libraries, hotel rooms, school halls, pubs, wherever they needed to, um, to share their knowledge and experience of growing food. So very different now to kind of gardening or, or certainly around flowers, which clearly there's a place for in, in a garden or an allotment. Um, but Mick really wanted this to be specifically around food growing. And so over the last 10 years, um, either independently as GIY, but oftentimes in partnership with um, with corporate partners, with commercial partners like Energia, we develop a, a wide range of campaigns to encourage and help people grow as much as they can wherever they can. So that could be at home, at school, at work, and, and clearly in the in their community. So we encourage people to do that because, um, quite frankly, Sharon, the food chain is broken. Um, the impact that's having both on people and planet, is very serious. Everything from increasing levels of obesity, for example, and, and a wide range of other chronic diseases. Um, it's not sustainable that we continue to expect certain fruit and veg out of season with no regard of where they were grown, what was used to grow them, who grew them, were they 
fairly and, and adequately paid. Um, how many air miles it took to get them to our kitchen table. So we need to break that cycle and really wake people up to the reality of this food system and everybody's responsibility to do something better around it. So it's great that there are some food producers taking action. There's clearly some supermarkets um, taking on responsibility. Everybody's keen to address things like food waste and, and celebrate local food and food provenance. But for us at GIY, we know that when you grow some of your own food, and I genuinely need, excuse me, mean herbs on a windowsill, spuds in a bag, salads on a windowsill, you know, it could be a balcony or an allotment or whatever, that through doing that, you develop what we call food empathy. And that's a, a really new, nice, deep connection to and an awareness of food. And so suddenly you start to think a bit more about what you're putting in your shopping trolley and whether or not it is in season or, you know, how much plastic is it wrapped in? Because you start to appreciate the bit of effort and clearly all the joy that goes with growing some of your own food. So that is ultimately DIY's key message. And then we love to work with partners like Energia who totally get what we're doing. So obviously Energia are coming at us from a much more kind of broader spectrum around sustainability. Um, they are a very green energy provider. They work hard to help businesses and homes use their energy more efficiently. So they're very conscious of the role they can play. And they were really keen to partner up with GIY in something slightly different, but again, positive more aware consumer behavior, I guess. Um, and so they got stuck in. Um, they're in it for the long haul, which is wonderful. They were hugely impressed by all the Energia Get Ireland growing applications and awardees from last year. So much so that they actually developed with us um, an internal employee wellbeing program called Get Energia Growing with people growing on their desks. And then obviously um, they wanted to partner up with us again this year. More applicants more funding and really get Ireland growing. I think it's very interesting what you said there about, you know, you don't need a lot of space to grow things and you're talking about energy encouraging its team to actually grow things on their desk well you can do it on your windowsills or on your balcony if you're living in a, in a flat scenario it is amazing what you can accomplish if you have the if you have the will to do it. Exactly. I'm sure you know as the fella said, or you're one, whatever. <laughs> you won't be gender specific. Uh, where there's a will, there's a way. And what we do with, with, at GIY, whether it's through our Facebook posts, our Twitter posts, um, our free weekly e-zine, the courses we run at Grow HQ, you know, the campaigns that we, we run, it's all about saying to people, look, don't worry about it. No matter how much time, how much energy, uh, knowledge, space or confidence you have, everybody can grow something somewhere. And we're absolutely not advocating that people go completely off grid. Like that's not realistic. We're very practical in GIY with our messaging. And it's really just to, to, to encourage people to, you know, get stuck in, like be part of the solution because the problem is pretty massive. The problem with the food chain and food production and huge imports and a lot of chemicals being used to grow our food and mass, mass agriculture. You know, it, it is a big problem. But instead of us waiting for somebody else to fix it, or for them, whoever them and they are, we really want everybody to take back a bit of power, 
take back a bit of control around the food that we eat, the food that we expect to be available to us. And we know that the simple act of growing a little bit of that goes a really, really long way. It, it, is, it is a change maker. So you're dead right. Whatever, whatever it is, um, you can grow something somewhere. Because, you know, there's some really good compost available. There's some great seeds available now, organic or not, as the case may be. And loads of health and tutorials and advice from, from, um, from GIY. And really what we would also say to you is, if you're a bit nervous about starting or you think I, I, I'm really not green fingered or I don't know, I don't know where to start, then, you know, join a GIY group or maybe you're part of a tidy towns group or, or a men's shed. Go to them and say, how about we introduce food growing into what we're doing? Um, and through that, then obviously we want you guys to submit your applications to be a sow, grow or harvest award um, through Energia Get Ireland Growing. And, Absolutely, the funding makes a difference. Like, who doesn't love to get a check in the post to go and buy all the materials that you need? But even if you're not an awardee, there's so much help through being a member of the GIY community that we, we really will get you growing, <laughs> whether you want to or not. <laughs> and there's a whole list, I have a whole list of um, groups that can take part, community groups, schools, NGOs, not-for-profit, community garden or allotment group, hospitals, mm-hmm. creches, direct provision centre, men's shed. Yeah. Like, the list is really endless as to who can get involved. And can you give us a few examples of previous groups that have have taken part successfully and what the outcomes have been? Yeah, gladly. Oh, like there's so many and they are all so very, very inspiring. So the first one that comes to mind, literally, because I just was on the Today Show with them this afternoon, um, is Adam Hurley from Mad About Cork. So this is a group of Cork-based and very much Cork-loving volunteers. I think there's about 30 or 40 of them who identify spaces in Cork City um, that are unloved and a bit of an eyesore and fairly derelict and could be used for worst-case scenario, anti-social behaviour, generally speaking, illegal parking. And so they transform um, those spaces into urban community gardens, you know, urban green spaces, and they give them a lovely a lovely makeover. And so they were one of our Harvest Awardees last year, or rather, you know, this year in 2017. So we awarded them €2,000, that they used to completely transform an area down around the coal key in Cork City, where now there are everything from spuds and onions and carrots and a plum tree um, growing in in this totally random, very city, urban location for volunteers absolutely to enjoy, but like literally passerby to just sit and, and pick. And, and, and you know what, Sharon, the thing is, one of the issues with the food chain, if I just digress slightly, is the abnormal has become normal. So we have it's become normal for us to walk into a shop and see at, at eye level, be you adult or a child, a whole range of high fat, high sugar, highly processed food. Like that's that's normal. Um, and what we want to do through Energy Get Ireland Growing and fantastic groups like Mad About Cork, and there's loads of them all around the country, is to actually say, no, that's not okay. We want to introduce green and growing and this type of space, this like really health-promoting, inclusive community space and get off, you know, get off the treadmill of buying all that other stuff. So that's just a little disruption there that I wanted to throw in. Um, so that's Mad About Cork, who are, who are just brilliant. 
um, and really enthusiastic about what they do. We have the wonderful school in Kilteven in County Roscommon, who submitted what I can only describe as an epic poem as part of their application. And they are incredibly resourceful. I mean, they are growing um, plants and food out of toilets. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, you know, they're being really resourceful, looking to what they have. So they're taking those kind of products out of landfill or out of skip, with permission, I hasten to add, and turning them into something lovely. So again, you know, changing people's perception and notion that everything has to be pretty and manicured and perfect and just so. And actually, no, they're growing plants and flowers and attracting bees and they're committed to biodiversity. And there are children who are talking to adults to say, if we don't do this, the bees will die. And if the bees die, we die. You know, like seven, eight and nine-year-olds telling us this message. And they were absolutely fantastic, like really supported by parents and their teacher. And they like they just stood out a while. Um, another wonderful group in Kilkenny who made over and transformed an old walled garden, again in the city centre, and they had a very particular focus around wanting to um, talk about food growing and being outdoors as a, as a fantastic way of improving one's mental health. And in doing that, you know, addressing the stigma that there still sadly is around mental health issues in, in Ireland. So, you know, that's a small, tiny snapshot. Shot of, I mean, I can give you loads more examples. But again, the common thread is food growing, people of all ages and backgrounds coming together recognizing the benefits that introducing a little bit or large-scale food growing can make within a community, be it urban or rural, and that, you know what, you're just resourceful and just crack on. You know the old adage, it's easier to ask. <laughs> it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Uh, well, I'm not encouraging yeah. anybody to break the law. I'm definitely saying, do you know what, don't wait. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Crack on. Check out um, GIY.ie. Be inspired. Look at the video of the awardees from last year. You know, phone phone your mates or phone the other people on the Tidy Towns group or talk to your parent, parent-teacher association, like whoever, and just say, let's just do this. Let's just take that patch of land that everybody in the village or town or suburb or state hates and let's turn it into something really positive. Um, so there's, there's so much scope and we will help you every step of the way. The gang at Energia, the gang at GIY, we know that this takes time and effort. It's mostly led by volunteers who are, just, as far as I'm concerned, some of the best people on the planet. And we'll help you. We'll help you do what, we'll help you however we can and do whatever you need to do. Whenever you were talking about Mad About Cork, the project there, you said it, it came under the category Harvest. And you have three different categories there. So Grow and Harvest. And the awards range then from 500 to 2,000. But there's going to be one very special group, Get the Massive 5,000. Like, What are you looking yeah. for there? What are you looking for that is going to tick all the boxes to get the 5,000 euro grant? Okay, so we're looking for ambition. So, you know, go big or go home. And um, we know that there are groups out there who will do an awful lot. Like, they will make that money go far. They will spend every last penny of that 5,000 euros. So we want ambition, but it needs to be realistic. Like, we need to know that, you're, that you have a plan in place 
with which to spend this this insignificant amount of money. So again, we're also really conscious and mindful that a lot of these groups, um, you know, schools or creches or mentions, whatever, you know, they're not professional fundraisers. Like it's a particular skill writing grant applications. <laughs> Trust me, it's part of my job. I know how difficult it, it is to do. And so it's not that it has to be incredibly flowery, worthy language. We want it to be simple, well thought out. The more you can show us that you're going to collaborate with other groups in your area, we want to know what needs this community going project is going to meet or what needs, because it's probably plural. Um, you know, we want to see that you have a plan, like, you know, a year, in a year's time, in three years' time, five years' time even. And we just really importantly, we want to see your energy and your passion and your commitment and that bit of we're going to do it anyway um, vibe and energy that, that's going to come through. So all of that, no pressure. <laughs> the sustainability side of it is very important that it's not a one hit wonder that you're looking for. Exactly. Exactly. Because we know, you know, it's, it's a lot of money. 5,000 euros is a lot of money and we can't, we love dreams and we love big goals and ambitions, but we can't spend it on a pipe dream. And, you know, we also know that it's really difficult for some communities to get access to land and have that secured for kind of long periods of time. So, you know, it doesn't need to be 20 years, but at the same time, if your if your planned location is at risk, then either make sure what you're going to do is mobile um, or make sure that you have somewhere that, that you can really kind of secure a long-term development and a bit of legacy behind this. But, you know, those places are there. You know, the, the school garden generally shouldn't be at risk. Um, and whilst we love to hear stories about how it's going to link in with your green schools plan or the pollinator plan or all the other awards that are out there with other great community programs, that's wonderful. Like, and, and we get that. And again, that will just show how well you've thought about it. But really, we, we, we want to see your energy. We want to know what you're going to do with this who you're going to partner up with. And and bear in mind that your video and your application, whether successful or not, is going to inspire other people to follow suit. So it's a win-win. Well, I'd imagine you're going to be overwhelmed with applications. Who <laughs> who gets the job of going through those? Is there a team of oh, you that look at them? Oh, my Lord. I'll tell you this one. There's an awful lot of coffee. So we, um, so we receive all the applications for every single one of the Grow So Harvest or, or this, this much bigger, the Today Show Award, as we're calling it, because it's really going to be um, the final, final, final uh, garden is going to be chosen by, by Maura and Dahi. Um, so I and the gang at GIY, so that's Shona and Rosie and Sheila and Claire, we do obviously have to apply some process to be able to, to choose the winners. Um there's a lot of tears <laughs> because, you know, sometimes these applications, like they're so honest and they're so raw. And like Sharon, when you read an application that is talking about the difference this garden is going to make, oh, see, even now when I think about it, the emotions come, the difference this garden is going to make to a women's shelter um, for children who have been affected by domestic violence. You know, that makes you stop for a second and think, okay, this is great and it's very community focused but like there's a real purpose here like this is serious business to a degree um, when we stop and think about the impact a food growing garden like an amazing one in Clonakilty has on 
people in the direct provision centre system who are living in a direct provision centre who, let's remember, have no control, no freedom around the food that they eat, then that also is very sobering and reminds us, A, how horrendous that is, but also how important it is for communities around direct provision centres to do what they can to bring food growing and access to green spaces to the people that are living there. And and their children, like give them somewhere for give them somewhere for kids to play and be kids. So, you know, there's a lot of joy in the applications and there's a lot of ambition. And then some of the ones like that that come through are very, very sobering and, and ground us a bit, to be honest. Um and make us remember this is not just a partnership. It's really meaningful and it makes a big difference in our in our country. Well, I don't so, env- I don't envy your task having to go through no. them. They've got, everybody has got until the nineteenth of January, the nineteenth of January to put their applications in. GIY.ie is the website, as you said before. So best of luck with the applications coming in. It's great to hear all about it, Karen, and we look forward to catching Thank up you. with you next year to see who has been awarded the money. Oh, brilliant, brilliant! Well, by all means, spread the word, get everybody involved get Ireland growing we really can do this and I cannot wait to read all the applications coming in from your listeners and the crew there in Limerick great lovely to talk to you Karen thanks so much and you be well you're listening to the best possible taste with Sharon Noonan sponsored by the taste.ie voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Karen O'Donoghue, Community Manager with GIY, shared details about how to apply for funding to get Ireland growing. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at the new time of 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, Linda Booth from Dublin Cookery School will be giving us an insight into her latest cookbook, Fearless Food, which won the Listowel Food Fair Book of the Year Award. But before that, Peter Mulryan from Blackwater Distillery in West Waterford has news of a recent accolade won by their Blackwater Number no. 5 gin. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Peter, you're very welcome to the programme and you've won another award to add to your ever-increasing number. Tell us about your most recent one. Well, we were very fortunate. We won gold at the International Wine and Spirits for Blackwater Number no. 5, who are the only uh, Irish gin to win gold and actually one of only 20 across the world. And it was like something like 350 entries. So it's a, it's a huge honour and uh, I think it's the first Irish gin ever to win gold. So yeah, we're thrilled. There's loads of gins on the market at the moment. Yeah. You you invented yours, for want of a better word, about three years ago. Tell us what was the incentive to come up with a gin? Well, it was very simple, really. Uh, my background is a spirits writer, so I was writing about spirits. And this is pre-Dingle Gin. Dingle was the first sort of Irish craft gin. There wasn't one. And I thought, you know what? I could have a go at designing one. So uh, uh, it took a bit longer than I thought. Um, and we came on the market about two and a half years ago. So it's been it's been pretty busy in the past two and a half years, yeah. 
And tell us about the original Blackwater gin. What was the, the flavours and the ingredients that you used in it? Well, I wanted to make a really sort of approachable gin that uh, wasn't, it was Irish, but it wasn't particularly Irish. It was just, it was international. It was, it could stand up to the best in the world. And we went for quite a classic, a classic palate. So lots of juniper and coriander. But then we added things like lemons and lemongrass and, uh, and all these are real botanicals. So like when we make gin, we, we put in real cinnamon sticks, real oranges, real lemons. And it's Seville orange, it's sort of marmalade orange. It gives you a lovely, nice, uh, long tickle on the back of the throat when you have your gin. So they all go in the pot and, and that's basically how we make our gin. And after it's made, all we add is water to bring it to bottling strength. So it's a, it's a very simple process, but it's a one shot process. So you, You've got to get it right. You you can't. Not allowed to tweak with it afterwards. And the number five, is there a significance to the number? Well, a lot of gins have numbers traditionally, like number one, even number three. Uh, it, it was recipe number, I think, 37B.5, which is a really rubbish name for a gin. So we just, we just simplified it to number five. Well, I think it definitely works. And you were talking there about being a drinks writer and it took longer than you had anticipated. Do you think that is because of you would have great attention to detail whenever it comes to drinks and you'd have a lot more knowledge than maybe the the normal person on the street? I think it's basically a lot of those things. I think uh, when you've got 12 ingredients in a gin, uh, it's like juggling 12 balls. You you can get 11 right, but the 12th one just doesn't work and these these ingredients impact on each other so if you reduce one it has an impact on other ones so it's quite a it's quite a job building a gin and that was the first one I, I built so it took me an awful long time I've got better since and like uh, last summer we launched Wexford Strawberry Gin which is made as you'd expect with Wexford Strawberries and that took me not, not quite as long <laughs> it, it is a process that we try to make it better every time. So we, we do tweak the recipe because uh, lots of reasons. But what the biggest one is that because we use real products, real botanicals, the variance from season to season. So your oranges change, your cinnamon sticks change. So you do always have to keep tweaking it to try to make it better. Must be a tough job doing all the tastings whenever you're doing all those <laughs> tweakings. Yeah, it's, it's tough at half nine in the morning, but uh, <laughs> more fun in the evening. Well, you mentioned there the Blackwater Wexford Strawberry Gin and you also have a Blackwater Juniper Cask Gin. So tell yeah. us a bit about it. Well, we just want to be innovative. So um, the Cask Gin is Ireland's first aged gin and the idea was make it double junipered. So we use juniper berries obviously in the gin, but we had casks made from juniper wood. So basically in Central Europe, juniper grows into a very small tree and we have the trees logged and um, air dried. And then we have little barrels built just for us. And these barrels are quite small because no bit of timber is going to longer than your arms. They're around 50 litres, but they're all kind of variants in size. And we put the um, we put the gin in, not knowing what would happen, to be honest with you. And uh, we tasted it after a few weeks and it was getting nicer and nicer. And then it went horribly wrong and it turned into Listerine. Uh, the reason being, it's a very it's a very astringent wood, and if you leave liquid in in the cask too long, it just goes off. So that first batch we had to just dump it, and then we had to keep a very close eye. So now we we normally leave the gin in for around a month, 
Well, each cask, again, is different. The wood is different. And depending how often you use it, it's different. So around 30 days and 30 nights, but sometimes up to 40. So the timing's very important there yeah. to make sure that the taste is exactly how you want it to be. Yeah, because it can be pretty much there on a Friday and be rubbish on Monday. So over the weekend, it will just go over the edge. So you really have to keep a very, very close eye on it. So that means lots of regular tastings, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Tough hard, job that somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Are you volunteering? <laughs> oh, if you were close, closer to hand, I certainly would, because I am a bit of a gin lover myself. And you were saying there about being innovative and you've yeah. just launched a joint venture with Barry's Tea. I'm very excited about this. You must tell us more about it. Barry's Tea Gin, yeah. Um, I've always been a fan of Barry's Tea. I lived in the UK for years and years Going back to the late 80s, I used to, uh, when I came home, pack my bags full of Barry's tea to bring it back to London with me. And then, very excited one day, it was a, a cheese shop in Covent Garden, started setting Barry's tea. So we used to troop into to Covent Garden to buy our tea. So I've always been a fan. Very early on in my experiments, I did distill uh, Classic Blend, which I think is the finest, the finest blend, Classic Blend. And it, it was a kind of a spicy, a lovely spicy note. It, it, things distill often differently to it expects. If you distill an orange, it tastes pretty much like an orange. But if you distill tea, it tastes kind of spicy. So um, I call it very, very interesting. Put that in the middle of a gin. So I kind of built a gin around it. it took me about six, seven months. Went to Barry's with the idea. And um, they weren't sure. And then they got, they tried it and they got more into it and more interested. And eventually um, they said, yeah, no, let's, let's just try it as a Christmas special, which is what I wanted to do. So we launched it there last week and it's only limited edition. It's only going to be until Christmas and then we'll stop making it. So it's, it's it, Barry's tea is at the core of it, but we've matched it with the kind of things that you find with tea, like chai tea will have, will have things like green cardamom. Of cinnamon, so we've used all those classic things lemon, bergamot, all the things you might associate with tea. They all really, really work. And then when the gin is made, we make, we make six massive pots of classic blend tea and we pour them into the gin and stir. And that means uh, you get a little sort of light color, like a, like a golden amber color in the gin, and that comes from big pots of tea. You mentioned there about leaving the gin in the cask for too long. Well, whenever it comes to brewing tea, there's a bit of science involved in that as well. Yeah, we only use leaf tea. We use freshly boiled water. We scald the pots. We leave it rest for three minutes with a tea cosy on so it doesn't go kind of cold. And then we pour it still hot into the gin. So it's, it's, it's... I'm a bit of a tea fascist, I'm afraid. So we, we make the tea at the distillery, pretty much how I make it at home. Uh, and then we stir it into the gin, yeah. And the tea cosy is an important part of it? Have to be, yeah. You've got you to gotta let the, the water draw out the tannins and the flavour from the tea. And you've got to do that with pretty much the hottest water you can make. It's unlike coffee. Coffee shouldn't be using boiling water, but with tea, you need it to be boiling. And then you need to keep the first three minutes, you've got to keep that tea as hot as possible, which is why if you make tea with leaf tea in a teapot, it tastes very, very different to tea bag tea in a mug. Gosh, it sounds really interesting. And do you 
do you recommend that that goes with tonic? And because let's face it, tonic is going through a bit of a revolution as well yeah. in the same way yeah. that gin has. Because Absolutely. I I found a lot of people that maybe thought they didn't like gin and tonic. It was actually a specific type of tonic that they didn't like. But now that we have all these new tonics and you, the sprig of rosemary with the the goose, yeah. the <clears throat> the South African gooseberry pierced through it and all of that, it makes a huge difference to how the yeah. drink tastes. So what do you advise that we put with the Barry's tea gin? Well, basically... The way they serve tea, oh, tea, gin now is is drama. So you get drama in a glass. I like drama, but I also like things that are drinkable, and I like things that are pretty easy to do at home. So if I wanted to make you a gin and tonic with a, I know, a sprig of rosemary and a mango, it'd be kind of difficult to do. Luckily for us, uh, Barry's tea gin works really well with lemon. Lemon just makes it zing. So. Number five works best with, say, lime or maybe pink grapefruit. But Barry's Tea Gin, I think lemon lemon really just kind of pops. It works really, really well. Again, you associate lemon with tea, so it's probably no big surprise. As for the tonic, that really is up to you. I mean, people have got different flavors, different tastes. Some people like, as you say, different tonics. So find a tonic you like. Simple. And what tonic do you like? What's your favorite tonic? It depends on the gin, to be honest with you. I like... With Blackwater number five, I actually like uh, the favorite tree light. It's just um, slightly softer. With um, with our strawberry gin, I actually like Schweppes because it's slightly sweeter than than sort of the craft tonics. That's kind of sweetness brings out the berry notes of the gin. And with um, with Barry's tea, it's very forgiving. Actually, I quite like Poachers, which is an Irish tonic. It works really, really well. Just kind of the lemony notes and there's some herbs going on there. They just kind of work really, really well with it. But again, totally up to you. You're covering all the bases there, naming the three gin or the three tonics that are best known on the market. Fair play yeah. to you, ticking yeah. all the boxes. Yeah, because yeah, um, I know some people have really gone off Schweppes now. They'd be all for the fever tree, seems to be very popular. And yeah. Mm, absolutely. There's a Henry one as well. What's that? The Thomas Henry, Thomas the German Henry. one. Yeah, very, Thomas very Henry. good too. But you know, they say sometimes, sometimes Schweppes does work. And for me, with our strawberry gin, Schweppes just really just pulls it together nicely. Yeah, I heard an interesting story recently about Doctor Schweppes. Wasn't that what he was called? The man that invented. I have no idea. Invented the Schweppes. Yeah, I think it was Joe down in Dingle Distillery told that story recently. Ah. Yeah, so there we go. Um, I have to go look it up. Yeah, absolutely. So loads of different types of gins there coming out of the distillery in Blackwater. And you also supply into Aldi. You have a gin there that has won loads of awards as well. Yeah, yeah. We do a Boyle gin named after uh, Robert Boyle, uh, you know, Boyle's Law, who's uh, from Lismore. Uh, yeah, Boyle's Gin, it's, um, it's a bit of an animal, really. It's hugely popular. It won Best Irish Gin in 2016 at the Irish Whiskey Awards. It won Silver at the IWSC International Wine and Spirits. It's doing really, really well. And we sent it to Aldi UK for Christmas and it sold out in a week. So it's a, it's a lovely, lovely gin. And for my money, it's the best value gin in Ireland. I mean, it's 25 euro for 70 CL craft gin. I mean, and it's it's a really good gin. Well, congratulations on the success of all the gins to date. The Barry's T1, it's going to be available in the next week or so. And where can we get our hands on it? Well, it will be nationwide and done stores, um, Kelly Whiskey Shop, major off licenses. Uh, hopefully it'll be 
it'll be pretty much everywhere. But again, it is for a limited period only. It'll be gone by Christmas. I, I think now you could be facing the same issue as you had with Aldi and the boils, Jen. It could be sold yeah. out within a matter of days because I do think it's going to be hugely popular. Fingers crossed. We'll just keep making it anyway. Good stuff. Well, listen, great to talk to you about it all. Best of luck with it and a happy Christmas to you. Thank you very much and to you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we were talking gin and tea with Peter Mulryan from Blackwater Distillery. And earlier in the programme, Karen Donoghue from GIY had details about the Get Ireland Growing Fund. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at the new time of 8am. The podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Now time for the final interview of the evening and it's with Linda Booth. Linda's latest cookbook, Fearless Food, hit the shelves recently and has made headlines with its Book of the Year award win at the Listowel Food Fair. Linda joins us on the line now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Linda, thanks a million for taking the call this evening. Fearless Food is the name of your new book. Tell us what we can expect from it. I've, I run a cookery school in Blackrock and I have lots of students coming to the school and are always looking for homely recipes that will inspire them and push their culinary boundaries. So I suppose I wanted to write a book that would, you know, and it's very much um, a book full of homely recipes, but I loved cooking foods from different cultures as well, um, you know, using lots of Irish produce where I can, but um, I might also use ingredients that would that you know might have come from afar. So um, it's inspiring people. You know, that's that's what I'm hoping. Um, just like to, to rush into the kitchen and try out a whole pile of um, different recipes that um, that they might not have tried before. Whenever you say that it's to push people's culinary boundaries, do you mean that it's aimed at people, that it's not for the novice cook, you have to have a certain level of skill and expertise in the kitchen? No, not at all. I suppose initially I set out to write the book for my my three children who are in their 20s because I felt that they'd moved away from home and they probably had just been eating very good food all their lives but never created it for themselves. So... um, you know, I, I guess it's, you know, food is for me, you know, it's about, it's one of life's great pleasures. And I love, um, I love cooking with lots of different um, fresh ingredients. And I like putting, having different twists on dishes. So I suppose it's, you know, if you, if you cook, if you cook a whole pile of dishes, you are all the time learning new techniques. So if people um, cook different recipes from the book, they will, in fact, be building on their culinary knowledge all the time. And all of the recipes would be written from the point of view of of a beginner. So that if you don't have a strong knowledge, that I'd like to think that all the knowledge is there for you to create that dish and that it it will turn out exactly as it should. So, you know, I I, I think it it kind of hopefully will inspire people who are um, just, you know, uh, whether they're novices or people who've got, you know, a lot more experience. And you say it was your children were really the inspiration for writing it so that they had the, the knowledge and the tools and all the information there at their fingertips so that they could replicate lots of their mommy dinners, I would imagine. 
Well, I suppose it did end up taking uh, taking a life of its own, you know. So <laughs> it started out for them, but actually, it just you know it just kind of grew and grew. So, um, but yeah, I, I guess yeah, I just I I guess I love I love the stories around food. I love like I spend my life looking for new ideas, new recipes. You know, that could be just from a friend, or it could be from a fellow chef, or it could be from traveling or eating in a restaurant. So. I'm always trying to create new ideas and new dishes and new flavors. And that's kind of what I build my life around. So I, I like to kind of express that. And I love, I'd like to think that I will lure you into cooking all of my dishes. And so like the introductions are really important to me. The writing is so important to me. I want to be able to convey some of the reasons why I love this dish and why it's in the book. And every recipe in this book I love. So and but I've got to, we've got to lure you know we all have personal preferences. So I I want to lure you into if you like the look of this or even if it's a new ingredient that you haven't tried before, I want to tell you all the reasons why I think you should try this one tonight. I think people do not really appreciate how much work, how much time and effort goes into putting a cookery book together. <laughs> I mean, there there's yeah. a how many recipes are in it because it is a huge book. I don't even know to be quite honest. I never did the final count, but I, there's over a hundred. Yeah, over a hundred recipes. Yeah, yeah. Just, over 100. just yeah. to sit down first of all to type those all out, to make sure that you know there's no typos there, so you have to recipe test them, to um, to write them the little bit that you're you're writing about for each of them, then the personal, the personal stories for each one. Like, how yeah. how long did it take you to put it all together? Uh, about well, you know, bearing in mind that I was also running the, and continue to run the cookery school full time, and that was that was the kind of the challenge, really, trying to do the two jobs simultaneously. But I suppose about a year and a half from 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 when I started seriously um, testing for the book, um, to you know, to fi- the final printing. Yeah, that's what it took. Me. And who did you collaborate with then? Who was there? Somebody did editing for you and checking the recipes, and then of course the the photography is beautiful in it. So you must have been. Yes. Well, I think that's the wonderful thing about um, you know I chose to self publish, and I and for a very specific reason. I actually I love the whole creative process. Um, I and but I love gathering a team of you know a team around me. So I kind of drew on um, lots of different people, and um, my husband, who, who's actually who kind of loves writing with me, so the two of us would write together a lot. And um, so he had a massive influence on me. Um, I had two wonderful designers, Mr. and Mrs. Stevens, Connor and Siobhan. Um, and they, you know, from early on, we would kind of go to their little office in Temple Bar and the whole book was kind of evolving. I mean, I had very strong ideas of how I wanted, you know, how I wanted the chapters to be, but they ended up developing a life of their own. And so we'd go and discuss or I'd write little stories and, and I'd give it to them and see how, 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 how they viewed it because... Um, it's very interesting to have somebody who's got a completely objective viewpoint. And so many things changed along the way. And then I had Joanne, who's an amazing photographer, um, and she does so many and so many books on food. I absolutely love, I love photography, and I love the whole food styling. And um, I worked with a very close friend of mine, Liz Quinn, and she's a fa- you know one of Ireland's um, top fashion designers. And we did all the food styling together and we shopped in Paris and we picked up the odd plates here and there and everywhere. And so um, I guess every every aspect of that book is just got my own personal stamp. Every single area from choosing the fonts to the colors to whatever. So I collaborate with, with um, you know, my team, if you like. And then I, and then I get to make the final decision. So that's that's the joy of 
doing it yourself. <laughs> so there must be a lot of research then goes into putting everything together, even in vetting people to see, yeah, can I work with that person or, you know, are they yes, not really my absolutely. cup of tea? Yes. I mean, I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess it, it, it evolves over a long period of time. But the, the whole process of, of of actually putting the book together and editing all the chapters and cutting things down if they're too lengthy and, you know, it's that, that whole process is, 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 yeah, it's very involved. But I suppose for me, it, that's the whole process of doing the book. It's That's what I love is it, actually not just handing over my manuscript, but in fact, creating every single aspect. And I have a collection, a massive collection of cookbooks. So I, I pull them off my shelves and I look over and see what I like and see, do I like this paper, like these colours and how could I incorporate those? And so, um, yeah, I guess I, I just, that, that whole process is what excites me. There, there is a huge market out there for cookbooks and there's a huge selection. So to try and find the gap there, the, the, the style of book and the type of recipes that there's room for in the market must be fairly challenging. I can't say that I actually did research and I didn't, you know, and I didn't do it based on what books were on the market. I mean, I suppose I, I always like to develop my own, my own slant. Um, I've been in the food business for, for, you know, since I was about 25 and I've worked in all sorts of different places and I've worked with different guest chefs and I've got like, I've got lots of chefs who come to the school and I've kind of worked with different people. So, I mean, um, if, if for, if, in a sense, it's just, a, if for me, it's a very personal journey. Um, and it, it's that's what it's based on. It's, it's how it evolved for me, and um, I just love the excitement around food. So I'm trying to evoke that when I when I write my book, and that's that's how it came about, really. And it's not your your first book. You have one that that's out a couple of years. Exactly. Yeah. So it's my second book, and I, you know, it just I didn't know. And when I started out, some, somehow I didn't really. I had a plan, but the plan changed massively. You know, as 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 it often does for people. So, and I kind of like that because then it, then, yeah. So it, it's very different to the other one, but it's still, all, it's still full of recipes that, that I love to eat. And at the end of the day, that's, that's what it's all about. It's about getting people to, you know, I, I guess we, we all have kind of, we, we all cook from a certain repertoire, if you like. And so, um, you know, if you're, that's the idea of a book is that maybe that it will inspire you to cook something different to what you would have done before, or use ingredients differently, or in fact, you know, trust in somebody that they've actually tried this and they, you know, you're not quite sure how it would turn out, but you actually, you, you, you're going to try something new and something different. So, um, you know, that's. And it it won the Listowel Food Fair Book of the Year award, so I mean it has a yeah. stamp of approval from at least one food festival. <laughs> and I know you're in the in the the running for a few other awards at the moment. It must be nice. It's always nice to get an award, isn't it? Well, of course, you know it's wonderful to get an award, and um, you know it's to, to have to have a, a bit of recognition for all the effort you've put in. But um, um, so I and I suppose it was it was quite a treat to be able to go to Listowel and. It was an eight-course banquet at the awards, and with every course was showcasing a different local product, and um, so it kind of, you know, that brought me to another part of the country that I really haven't, you know, been in for so many years, and to see, in fact, that how much they're doing to encourage kind of artisan, you know, producers, and how to bring, you know, new businesses, new business ideas along, and. You know, they're they're hoping to have, you know, develop a food hub in the store. And, you know, you're just thinking, wow, you know, this is happening all around the country. This revolution is kind of spreading. And 
And, you know, I, I, I you know, so many people play a part in that. And, and I suppose I like to think I, I'd be one of those. And a little bird told me that you were very taken by a particular cheese down at the Listowel dinner. <laughs> That's right, I was. Yeah. Well, actually, there were, there, were lots, there were lots of cheeses I really liked. I mean, to be quite honest, I was blown away by the banquet. Like, it was literally eight courses and every single course had a different ingredient. And they were all showcasing a particular product from that area. So, um, so yeah, no. So there were. Uh, I wouldn't identify one particular one. There was a whole cheese board. There was a like there was cheeses. There were awards handed out to four different cheeses from that area, and there was many more that they could have chosen. So, um, I you know I I love cheese, and so it's um, yeah. There were there were lots of products there that I that I'd say that I was absolutely blown away by. So, um, yeah, it's. Yeah, it was an exciting trip and it's exciting to see what's going on elsewhere in another part of the country that you've never really been to. So um, I think that's, that, that makes it very different when you're eating around the country now that you can kind of search out these products and, um, and see what people are doing with them. Yeah, because you're obviously a very busy person with your family and with your, you know, writing cookbooks yeah. and your cookery school. And I mean, most things do happen or a lot of things happen in Dublin. And sometimes it's very hard to get away from Dublin to other parts of, of the country. But it is amazing yeah. what we can see and what we can learn whenever we take that time out. Yes, exactly. And it kind of gives you a new perspective on things and you just come back and invigorated and thinking, wow, you know, it's like... Um, you mustn't think it's all happening. It certainly isn't all happening in Dublin. You know what I mean? So, um, no, I think it's it's yeah. I, I suppose what, what's wonderful, I think, about the food business, there's so many um, areas that are that you can go into. You know, if you're involved in food, um, it's it's a much more creative area than than it would have been in the past, and um, it's kind of an area that everybody is so passionate about. So. So many people love to share their ideas or their expertise or their knowledge or just share, you know, you know, the share food, you know what I mean? So it's kind of, um, that's that's kind of what's nice. I think it's um, so different these days to how it would have been, you know, 20 years ago. It's, it's such a massive re- revolution in the food scene and um, that's affecting all of us. And that, that's, that's such a positive thing. And the cookery school must be very busy. At this time of the year, do you offer Christmas-specific type courses for yes. people to come in well, just to make sure they serve up that perfect Christmas dinner? Um, yes. Well, we're just about to launch into our Christmas courses. Um, but, you know, I've got full-time three-month students, um, some of whom are just doing it for fun and some who are going on into the business. Um, that, that particular course also attracts lots of people coming from abroad. So we have people from the States, from England, from um, Brazil, from all sorts of places. Um, so, uh, and that's nice. You're bringing people into the country and just sharing a bit of what's happening here. Um, and then there's lots of individual classes, one-off evenings, one Saturday, just single Saturdays. Or, and then we're doing lots of kind of groups, you know, corporate groups or dinners or, or things like that. So there's a kind of massive schedule. For anybody who wants to find that, would find it on my website, dublincookeryschool.ie. And so if you want to get inspired and you want to a few new ideas um, or you want to, you know, and it makes an amazing presence for people, um, you know, to buy a cookery voucher or buy the book, you know, so... Um, so you so can buy the book. book you can buy the book on your so, website as well as all good bookshops, you, I presume. Exactly, you can buy the book on the website, um, uh, you know, through the cookery school, um, or you can buy it, uh, you know, in all good, hopefully, all good bookshops around the country. So, um, 
yeah, so it should be should be readily available. Well, before we let you go, then can you share with us one of your favourite recipes in the book? <laughs> well, that that's a, that's probably the most difficult question of the night because I it's very hard to pin something down when in fact I have created so many recipes and all of which I love. So it, you know, I'd have to say so much depends on your mood of what you want to cook that night. I mean, okay, we're in the winter season and it's like, you know, dark winter evenings. And I guess I love lots of braising dishes at the moment, wintry kind of, you know, hearty winter food. And some of my absolute favorite dishes at the very moment are um, kind of, you know, the, the braises that go with the pasta. I love pasta. I love Italian food. And so I love kind of, you know, the, um, you know, sort of uh, lamb, uh, what have I got? This, like lamb shoulder, which I braise, or lamb shanks, and I serve that with uh, pasta jelly, loving white pasta. Or I have a meatball ragu, or um, so lo- lots of those kind of braising um, Italian dishes I-, I love. But to be quite honest, there is everything from brunch spices, pasta, lots big vegetarian chapter, meat, fish, whatever. So um, it's just full of lots of wonderful recipes, and um, every night I like to eat something different. So. Um, yeah, so hopefully you're going to, I don't know if you've had time to uh, have a, a serious drive through the book, but hopefully you'll find lots of recipes there to inspire you. Yeah, I've had a flick through now and there was a few bruschettas and things like that, That because, you know, Sharon isn't the best cook in the world and Sharon likes it to be nice and straightforward and simple. But, yeah. I, you know, I look forward to picking a few things out now and, and, and making a stab at them and I'll be sure to tweet you the pictures there and let you know how I get on. Great. Well, you know, there's lots of simple recipes because there's lots of nights where you come home and you just need to rush up something quickly. But then on other occasions, you want, you know, you have a little bit more time and you can actually prepare something that, in fact, would last you for a few nights and you can squirrel away a few portions in the freezer or whatever it is. And so it's, um, I, you know, I like to think there's lots of ideas there that will make, you know, the kind of cooking during the week a lot easier for everybody. And it's great the way it's it's split up into different, like the brunch section and the dinner section and things like that. It's yeah. very, very handy then, you know, where to go yeah. to whenever you're looking for something yeah. specific. So congratulations on winning the Listowel Food Fair Book of the Year Award. And it was great that you were able to come down to receive that in Listowel a couple of weeks ago. And um, great to talk to you about it tonight and best of luck with the seals of it because it is a fantastic book and and after all those dishes that you called out there I'm sure all the mouths are watering all over the country thank you very much bon appetit yummy grubs up delicious mmm Thanks again to Linda for giving us an insight into the intricacies of writing an award-winning cookbook. And thanks also to tonight's other guests, Karen O'Donoghue and Peter Mulryan, and of course to you for listening. I'll be back at the same time next week, so until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie, voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with the best possible taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.